Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. And when he saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain, and he sat down. His disciples came to him. And opening his mouth, he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the, the, the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You see, the Sermon on the Mount tells us how to enter the kingdom of God. The Sermon on the Mount also tells us what a disciple of Jesus looks like. In other words, what does a Christian look like? The proud don't enter the kingdom. The self-righteous don't enter. Those who don't show mercy don't enter the kingdom. The impure in heart don't enter the kingdom of God. To enter the kingdom of God, we must cast ourselves upon the mercy of God. We must recognize, being poor in spirit, that there is nothing good that dwells within us. We must understand that we are impure. We must understand that we are impure in order to be pure in heart. And unless God, by His sovereign grace and mercy, changes our heart, frees our, our will, from the bondage to that darkened heart, there is no hope for us. We will not see God. And unless God has made peace with us, we cannot be sons of God. And in, unless God has made peace with us, and then thereby made us peacemakers, we will not be sons and daughters of God. Now, please understand that the traits of, of humility, of mercy, of hungering and thirsting after righteousness, and being a, a peacemaker, these are all essentially fruits of the Spirit. And as a fruit of the Spirit, they are the proofs that we are the disciples of the Lord Jesus. Jesus said in John 15, I'm divine. Ah, and you are the branches. Unless you abide in me, you cannot do anything. And every branch that does not abide in me, they cut off and they burn it up. And then he says, uh, by bearing much fruit, you thereby prove to be my disciples. And so we see in this Sermon on the Mount, it's how we enter the kingdom. It's how we are viewed as disciples of the kingdom. And these are not, I remind you, they're not suggestions. These are, as it were, is what God expects of us as those who call upon the Lord Jesus. This is what we are to be like. And remember, they're fruits of the Spirit. And where the Spirit is, there is peace with God. And when there's peace with God... It opens up the, the door, the avenue, for us to be at peace with men and to be peacemakers. 
So Jesus explicitly said here, the peacemakers are the sons and daughters of God. You can't be a child of God without being a peacemaker. And all these traits we need to understand in this admonition of the Lord is so timely. And I want, to, want us to turn over to 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5, because every time we read uh, these Beatitudes, these are the, this is the question we need to ask ourselves. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test. So the sobering question that we all need to ask ourselves, is Christ in me? Is he in me? Do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? So the question we need to ask ourselves today is, is the Prince of Peace in me? And am I a peacemaker, thereby giving proof to the world that I am a son of God? Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said, for they shall be called the sons of God. And unless I'm, if I'm not a peacemaker, I'm not a child of God. I won't enter the kingdom of God. Sounds kind of dramatic, isn't it? But that's what Jesus said. Blessed are the peacemakers. They are the sons of God. And in this regard, and, and why is that the case? Why is it that the peacemakers, Jesus says, are the sons of God? When the Lord comes into your life, when the God of peace comes into your life, when the Prince of Peace, whom Jesus is referring to in the Scripture, comes into your life, you're not the same. You're at peace with God, and being at peace with God means you're going to be at peace with others, generally speaking. Now, granted, none of us are perfect. None of, we, are, we are all sinners. We recognize that. But in recognizing the fact that we are all sinners... We can't use that as excuses for not being what God has called us to be. In fact, God has called us to be a peacemaker. And we can't excuse ourselves for being self-centered. We can't excuse ourselves for being, uh, that is, arrogant, envious, jealous. can't excuse ourselves for being bitter, uh, harsh, cruel, judgmental, all of which... We're going to find out today is the opposite of the peacemaker, according to the Word of God. You know, there are many benedictions in the Scripture uh, that are given. And one such benediction that you'll find several times is this. Now may the God of peace be upon you. So before we can manifest any godly trait of being a peacemaker, the first thing that that presupposes is, you, you and I have to be at peace with God. That comes first. I can't be a peacemaker unless I'm at peace with God. So let's understand that in our state of unbelief, the Bible says, in our bondage to sin, 
we are viewed by God, as the King James would, would say it in Psalm 7, verse 11, says that God is angry with the wicked all day long. Now, why is God angry with the wicked all day long? It's because of our nature of being in rebellion against God. It's because of this alienation that exists, because of our sins. Uh, turn with me to Isaiah 59. Look at verses 1 through 2. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. Neither is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. This sets forth for us very clearly that this separate, there is a separation that exists between God and man. And the reason for that separation is, is our sins. That's the reason. I won't have you turn to this passage. I'll just quote it to you. Habakkuk 1 verse 13 tells us, Thine eyes are too pure to approve evil, and thou canst not look on wickedness with favor. God is absolute holiness. He is so pure, he cannot tolerate sin in his presence. That's why it is true. Unless we are perfect, we will never make it into heaven. You do have to be perfect. When we, when we share the gospel with people, we want to bring that out. We want people to understand you do have to be perfect. And you want people to come to realize they're not perfect. <laughs> you want to have people come to realize they are in a very serious dilemma. If God expects you to be perfect and you can't be perfect, <laughs> you're in real trouble. And so their, their question would be, well, how do I get to be perfect? I'm glad you asked the question. Only in Jesus. Only in Jesus. Only if the God of peace comes and, has, and comes to you in grace and mercy. You see, before God regenerates us, before he can save us from our sins, or before he does save us from our sins, the Bible says, as I've already alluded to in Psalm 711, he's angry with us all day long. And the Bible says we are viewed as enemies of God. I mean, that's the Bible's terminology of us. And to show you that that's the Bible's terminology with regard to us, turn to James chapter 4. James chapter 4, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. And this passage, we're going to see, has a lot to say about being a peacemaker. Well, let's begin reading it at James 4, beginning at verse 1. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and do not have, so you commit murder. And you are envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have... Because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, 
Do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And there you have it. What's the source of all the conflict in the world? It's quite apparent. It's our sins. It's our um, propensity towards arrogance. Our sinful pleasures that sometimes we don't even ask, we just take. Nations, on a, on a, a large scale, nations just desire another land and just take it by force. In our relationships, the problems with that, if there's any kind of interrelationship difficulty, uh, where, where's the source? Our arrogance, our uh, pleasures, our sinful pleasures. And then notice here that it says that God refers uh, to those who are in constant conflict. He says he refers to them as adulteresses. That's a pretty significant word that God uses that to refer to these people that are always in conflict. Think about it, here he is, he calls them uh, adulteresses because God is our creator. God has made us. He has made a covenant with us. He has certain expectations, and he expects his people to be at peace with him and with others. And if you're not, then he spews it as rebellion. I mean, the term, I mean, because of God's covenant with his people, that's why when they fell into sin in the scriptures, you go through the Old Testament, you'll see that imagery. He calls Israel adulteresses, the harlot, because they have proved unfaithful to him. God is a God of peace. He expects his people to be peacemakers. And when they're not, then they are in a state of unfaithfulness to him. And mankind, in rebellion against God, is said to be a friend of the world. And if we are a friend of the world, it says we are an enemy of God. And that's what we need to understand. That's why we say to people, your sins have separated you between you and, your, and a holy God. And God views you in a state of great animosity. He views you as an enemy. And the last thing you want to be is an enemy of God. Joe Moorcraft once said he saw a, the best bumper sticker he said he ever saw was this. Someone made it up. You, know, you can make up your own bumper stickers. I need to find a way to do that. <clears throat> Wayne Rogers has done something. It says... Don't get God started. <laughs> because, and what that means is, and the old idea is you say, don't get me started now. Don't get me riled up. The last uh, one you ever want to get upset is God. Don't get God started and against you because he is the most terrifying force in the universe. Well, what is it? It says here that all those who are a friend of the world are enemies of God. So what does it mean to be a friend of the world? 
Well, we'll turn over to 1 John 2, and we learn what it means to be a friend of the world. 1 John, beginning at verse 15. Uh, 1 John 2, verse 15 and 16. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but it's from the world. Now note there, it is a very serious thing to be said to be a friend of the world. Because here, if you're a friend of the world, it just says straightforward, the love of the Father is not in you. And who are those adulteresses? James said the adulteresses before God are those who love the world, and therefore they're in hostility against God, and God views them as his enemies. And so the signs of being in the world are this, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of heart. Remember, remember that's what causes the, the conflicts in James. You see and you want it, and you just take it. Uh, you, you have this uh, attitude, well, it's mine. You see, the, the problem here is this self-centeredness, this arrogance that is in this mindset that is in rebellion against God. And so with this lust of the eyes, this lust of the flesh, then people simply in this boastful pride, that causes the conflict. And the world is full of conflict, as you and I know. And it's full of conflict because it's in a state of enmity against God. The Prince of Peace is not with them. That's why. And so, let's be clear. The lovers of the world are viewed by God from his perspective as his enemies. Keeping in mind all along our beatitude, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the sons of God. And so we're going to see that to be a lover of the world is not to be a peacemaker. It's the very opposite of being a peacemaker, as we will see. So the question before us is, how do we end this hostility between us and the living God? Well, God has to come to us in his saving grace and mercy. And unless God comes to us in that, his saving grace and mercy, unless the God of peace comes to us, there's going to be no peace. Turn with me to Romans chapter 5 and look at verses 8 through 11. But God demonstrates his love, own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only this, but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received the reconciliation. So to put it quite straightforward for us here is, 
God comes to us when we are yet sinners, right? That's grace. For God to come to us while we are yet sinners and to die for us is an act of God's grace and his mercy. And when God comes to us in his love towards us, what happens? It says we're justified by his blood and delivered from what? His wrath. There again, see, he's angry with us. Uh, Before Christ, we are under the wrath of God. And the Bible refers to when God comes to us in his grace and mercy, he brings about reconciliation. What's reconciliation? But the bringing together, right, of uh, those who are in alienation with respect to one another. To be reconciled, Either means you were once friends and something happened to cause a division. Well, we can go all all the way back to the Garden of Eden with that, can we not? Because Adam was a friend of God. But Adam sinned and broke that. And then uh, all sin and misery came in. But through the Lord Jesus Christ, we as that state of enmity has been cleared up. We are reconciled to a God because of Jesus and his atoning death. That's his shed blood. We're delivered from the wrath of God because of Jesus. Now, in this regard, so in the Lord Jesus, we are no longer enemies of God. The hostility with God has ended. Hallelujah. We're at peace with God. What a wonderful thing to be at peace with God. Hebrews 10 talks about those who are not. It says it is a a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God if you're not at peace with God. But if you're at peace with God, what a marvelous thing that is. By the way, Isaiah says concerning the coming Messiah, he said to me, the Prince of Peace. Turn with me to Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9, let's look at verses 6 and 7. That great promise of that coming child that Isaiah prophesied concerning the Messiah. He said, verse 6, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor. Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness, from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. We'll center in on the fact that Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. That's one of the names that this child will have, the Messiah. And it's fitting, is it not, because there will be no end to the increase of the Messiah's kingdom. But what is one of the hallmarks of his kingdom? Peace. You know, in Jesus, we're told, he is reigning right now at the right hand of God the Father. He is subduing his enemies under his feet. And the primary way 
that he is subduing his enemies is that he has brought his peace to them. When he comes into your life, and when God, the Holy Spirit, regenerates you, you are restored with God, you're at peace with God, and now you have the spirit of peace within you. And now you are able to be a peacemaker. You know, one of the great passages we look here in Isaiah, the promise of the increase of the Messiah's kingdom will have no end. And... Uh, there will be no end of the increase of his government and or of peace. So Jesus' messianic reign is all about creating peace on planet Earth. Now to show you the magnitude of that peace that's going to be created on planet Earth, turn to Isaiah chapter 2. Look at verses 1 through 4. The word which Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it will come about that in the last days the mountain of the house of the Lord will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations will stream to it and many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob that he may teach us concerning his ways, that he that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he will judge between the nations, and will render decisions for many peoples. And they will hammer their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not lift up sword against nation, and never again will they learn war. Rather than that, is an example that there will be no end of the increase of his kingdom of peace. The last days, the last days in Scripture are those days between the first and the second coming of Christ, however long that is going to be. Zion is that term which always refers to uh, the people of God. That mountain, that, that house that he refers to here is Zion. It is Jerusalem. The church is called the heavenly Jerusalem in scriptures. And the Bible pictures this day when the nations will stream to the church of the Lord Jesus. Tell that to modern America today. But you see... It will happen one day. I may not see it. You may not see it. But it's going to happen. And I believe the promises of God. They will stream to the church to learn His ways. And what are His ways? Peace. Peace are the ways of God. And they won't learn war anymore. Imagine that. This national conflict will cease one day. Incredible. Turn with me to Ephesians 2. Look at verses 13 through 18. Here's how God comes and brings peace. Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace 
who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments, contained in the ordinances, that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Now who is he talking about here? The great blessing of God the Father through the Lord Jesus Christ coming to the Gentile world. Who are the two groups? The Jews and the Gentiles. They were at enmity against one another. But through the Lord Jesus Christ, through his peace, and notice here what verse 17, keep that in mind. He came and preached peace to those who were far away. Jesus, God came and preached peace. Remember what I've said about uh, Romans 10? Why are the feet of preachers said to be beautiful? Because they bring glad tidings of good news. The gospel, when it is preached by a herald, a preacher of Jesus, the essence of that preaching is to restore men to God, to create a state of peace where there was once hostility. So when the apostles, when Paul and the apostolic team went to the Gentile world, and when they were preaching the gospel, the Gentiles believed in Jesus, and as a result, they were brought together into one church, Jews and Gentiles. The hostility had ended at last. I've shared all of this to you to conclusively show to you that in order to be a peacemaker, you and I at first must be at peace with God. So that's why we've looked at the passages that we have to establish that God has created peace in your life through regenerating you and bringing you to saving faith. Now what this means, seeing that hostilities between God and man have ceased, what this means then is this. We cannot truly be peacemakers unless we have entered the kingdom of God through the Prince of Peace, who brought peace to us. And so what we're going to see is this. When the God of peace comes to us and creates friendship with us, the automatic result or effect in our lives is that we become, likewise, peacemakers. We are like our God. A peacemaker. This is why uh, it is a vain attempt of worldly men to have their peace treaties. You know, I mean, every probably every president since I don't know since 1948, as you and I know, there is a lot of turmoil in the Middle East, and probably every president <laughs> has sought to get peace between the Jews. And the Arabs. And it's, it's not, 
And then they'll claim, they'll have some peace treaty, and they'll hail this peace treaty as peace in our time. And then it'll last maybe a couple of weeks until one of them sends a missile over to the other one, and then it starts all over again. There's no peace in the world. There will be no peace in the world by the vain attempts of men. The only peace that will come to the world will be when they hammer their, their swords into plowshares because the Prince of Peace has come upon them. On a wide scale, the nations come to him. They will no longer want to fight with each other because the God of Peace is within them. And so we, we understand that as Christians, we by nature, as a Christian, we are a peacemaker. Because the, the God of peace has shed abroad in our hearts his peace. You know, Proverbs 16, verse 7 says this. When a man's way is pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Now, you may say, when I preach next week, say, well, if that's the case, why are we persecuted? Well, we understand that in a general means, when a man's ways are pleasing to God, he will make his enemies at peace with him. Christians are peacemakers, or should be. Proverbs 15, verse 1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. See, those who, uh, <clears throat> those who speak very critical words, condemning words, uh, judgmental words that aren't appropriate, it, what, what happens? Well, you see it in your own lives, don't you? A, a harsh word makes a person tendency to be angry. And that's why the Bible says a gentle answer turns away wrath. As we're going to see shortly, the Bible says that a peaceable man is a gentle man. We're going to see that is what the Word of God says. The general truth then is this. Peacemakers make peace with other men. Yes, a gentle answer turns away wrath. And a peacemaker is someone who exemplifies also this proverb. Proverbs 17, verse 14. You can turn there if you like. Proverbs 17, verse 14 says, The beginning of strife is like the letting out of water. So abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. Well, I, I'll tell you what. If there is any, how practical the Proverbs are. You know, a lot of fights between siblings, fights between husbands and wives, fights with your neighbor, whatever it can be. It's like the letting out of water. So abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. Don't say the second word or something. It's usually the one that has to, has to, has to have to come back, and then it starts. 
The beginning of strife is like the letting out of water. Don't let the water out in the first place. And then that's going to be the strife. In this regard, Proverbs, take a look at Proverbs 15, verse 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but the slow to anger pacifies contention. It's obvious in this passage that the peacemaker is a person who is what? Slow to anger. Because the man or the woman who is slow to anger pacifies contention. Contention is fighting, struggling. And therefore, the one who can bring it into the contention is someone who's not given over to being hot-tempered. Quick-tempered. And so the slow to anger are those who are peacemakers, and the peacemakers will pacify contentions. In other words, peacemakers are reconcilers, is what they are. And they're not hot-tempered. Peacemakers will pacify problems. You know, the whole term, you've heard the term mediator, right? Well, Let's look at it on a divine and on a human level. you got Jesus as the what? The mediator between God and man. And there's alienation, right? As we've said, God's holy, we're unholy. God's angry with us because of our sins. Well, Jesus has come to be the peacemaker. He's the mediator. And through his own atoning death, he's established reconciliation. Peace with warring parties. Likewise, on a human level, if you have a conflict, you have a conflict with your neighbor and you want to go to court, sometimes they will always establish a what? A mediator between you and your neighbor. And what's the purpose? Well, to come to agreement, to have the contention stop, to have the fighting stop. So they appoint a mediator. That's what a mediator is. A mediator is a peacemaker. And we are expected to be peacemakers. Turn with me to Romans 14, verse 17. Romans 14, 17. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Then look at verse 19. So then, let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Now, remember, the context here in Romans 14 is those issues over food and drink, and some felt liberty to eat while others did not feel liberty. And those who felt they had the liberty to do it uh, were acting out of disregard to those whose conscience wouldn't allow them to do it. Well, it says here, a peacemaker is one who will seek for the edification of the person, not the exercise necessarily of their own rights. Though they may have the right there to do it, they don't because they want to be a peacemaker. They don't want hostility. They don't want the person feeling bad towards them. So they'll defray a right at that time in order to pursue what? To pursue peace and the building up of one another. And that's what a Christian does. See, the Christian should always be thinking about what can I do to always uh, be at peace with men? Now, it's not peace at all costs, but the, our thrust 
with regard to our neighbor is to live at peace with our neighbor. Our closest neighbor would be our husband and wife, our children, uh, and then our, our neighbors, as we normally understand them, Christians, are seeking to be peacemakers. So we are told to pursue peace and that which is edifying to one another. So what I, what I really want to convey to you is that being a peacemaker is a huge deal with God. It's not, it's not a minor issue. It is a big deal with God to be a peacemaker. And if we're not generally peacemakers, then we have to ask ourselves, am I a part of the kingdom of God? Keep in mind, Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, they are the sons of God. Not the warmongers, the peacemakers are the sons of God. And again, we cannot make ourselves peacemakers. That's right, we cannot make ourselves peacemakers. Only God can make us peacemakers. And that begins with the right relationship with him and then the desire to walk and imitate God. Turn with me to uh, Galatians chapter 5. And look at verses 18 through 26. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. And now I want you to follow all the other fruit of the flesh. Enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying. Which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. See how important it is to be a peacemaker? Blessed are the peacemakers. They are the sons of God. So Paul warns us that if we practice being outbursts of anger, we can't control our temper, uh, dissensions, factions, if we're envying, if we are jealous, if we just like being because of our pride, getting engaged in, in strife, then he says, if, if that's the normal for us to be alive, he says, you're not in the kingdom of God. That's what he says. Those who practice these things are not in the kingdom. Now, again, we all probably can say we're guilty of each of these things at some point. But there's a difference of falling into it now and then and that being the characteristic of your life. There's a big difference, you see. And then notice the fruit of the Spirit, which is the opposite of the fruit of the flesh. Verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Verse 24, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and desires. They have put it to death. They're not, meaning they're no longer in bondage to it to practice those things. That's what it means to have crucified the flesh. It can't mean the, mean the ultimate eradication of that. Otherwise, there would be no flesh that we'd ever have to deal with. But to crucify it 
means that we, that is not the thrust of our life. We're not practicing those things. We have put it to death. If we were given to anger, we're no longer angry. Um, where there was great pride, there's no longer that arrogance, but humility. And then look at verse 25 and following. If we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. Let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. See, the peacemaker is not boastful. The peacemaker is not one who challenges. And the peacemaker is not one who envies. They're not. And so what we see here is that, (laughs) hold your hand to Galatians 5 here. I don't want you to lose your place in Galatians 5, but I want you to turn back. Let's turn back to James 4. Now look at James 4, 1 says, talks about quarreling. Why do we quarrel? Because of the pleasures of the flesh, he says here, right? Well, look at Galatians, turn back to Galatians 5.24. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the what? The flesh with its passions and desires. We don't challenge each other. We're not boastful to one another. We don't envy. Now, what does James say? Look at James. James says, what is the source of quarrels? Verse 2. You are envious. See, Galatians 5 talks about when the fruit of the flesh is envy. Well, James says, why do you have other quarrels? Because you're envious. That's why. We don't have because we don't ask. And when we do ask, we, we ask wrongly. And what, how does James say those who do wrongly, how do they ask? Well, it says that they, verse 3, that they may spit it on their pleasures. Uh, is that not what? Galatians talks about the fruit of the flesh, these passions of the flesh. I want us to see that Galatians 5 describes in the fruit of the Spirit a man and a woman of peace. While a non-peacemaker is someone who always causes strife. Now, we could break out in a great Judy Rogers song right now if if we could. But Judy Rogers has this great <clears throat> song about Proverbs six, six things that uh, yea seven things that the Lord hates. We can get going here. And notice the the last thing of the the thing that God hates. What is it? Those who sow discord among their brethren. God hates. You know, as a Christian, we really need to take that to heart. When we get into fights, and the next time your brother or your sister does something to you, that just, just takes you off, and you want to just either hit them or just say something back, just hold on. The thing that God hates is someone who sows the store among the brethren. We, the peacemaker doesn't sow the store. We strive to protect. And mind you this, since God hates those who sow discord among their brothers. You know, in this regard, one of the vows that you took as a church member was what? 
I promise to strive for the purity and the what? The peace of the church. I mean, God, I mean that's how important God views it. The purity is important, but the peace of the church is important. God hates those who cause trouble with their brothers. We see uh, Proverbs 13.10 tells us, Only by pride comes contention. That's interesting. Behind every contentiousness, there is a pride. That's, that's what the scripture says. We want it our way. It's self-centeredness. That's why the Bible talks about selfish ambition is what causes conflicts among people. That's why nations fight, because they're self-centered. They're arrogant. They want it. Proverbs 26:21 says, A contentious person is like kindling to a fire. It also said charcoal. Uh, there's to it. What, let's look, look at the passage, what it actually says. Proverbs 26, 21. The near American standard says, Like charcoal to hot embers and wood to fire, so is a contentious man to kindle strife. Now, you want to keep a fire going, just add some real good kindling, and that'll, that'll get the fire going. Or put some charcoal in there, and that'll get it heated up. Well, that's what a contentious person is like. They are like kindling to a fire. They just cause strife. They're not peacemakers. The peacemaker, instead of adding kindling to the fire, the peacemaker pours water on the fire, right? That's what the peacemaker does. And we see that peacemakers in the Scripture are humble. They're gentle. And remember, what did uh, Proverbs say about the gentle person? The gentle man turns away wrath. So, gentleness and peacemaker go hand in hand. One last passage we're going to take a look at, and that's James 3. Turn to James 3, verses 13 through 18. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. The wisdom is not, this wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. But the wisdom from among, from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, and good fruits, unwavering without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now, first of all, we see here that it says that the wisdom from above, one of the characteristics that's mentioned is the wisdom from above is peace. That should tell us that the wise man is a man of peace, right? 
that shows us that wise man, you can go through the Proverbs and you're going to see the wise man is one who seeks to preserve peace. And is that not what the Proverbs is all about? Contrasting the wise man from the foolish man? I mean, that's what Proverbs is about. The wise man is a peacemaker. But the fool is a troublemaker. And there's that contrast you see in, in the Proverbs. And so here James says, and I hope you saw that, that a peacemaker is someone who's not arrogant here. Because the wisdom of the world is earthly, natural, demonic. And why is it demonic? Because it leads to jealousy, selfish ambition, disorder, and every evil thing it says here. That's the wisdom of the world, not the wisdom of God. And mind you, that bitter jealousy is a fleshly desire that only leads to quarreling in the Scripture. Bitter jealousy is a fleshly desire that leads to strife. On an individual level and on a national level. And that's why nations will fight. James 3.18 says, and rephrasing it, I could rephrase it this way. It means that peacemakers sow in peace and harvest a righteousness of peace. Is it not true? Whatever you sow, that shall you also reap. The peacemaker sows peace and reaps peace. In contrast, we see this righteousness cannot be produced in a climate of bitterness. It's not produced in a climate of selfish ambition. It's not in, in arrogance, but it's done in a climate of peace. This is why the proverb says an arrogant man is combative. An arrogant man is contentious. And those given to jealousy and envy are by nature contentious, says the proverbs. And so people who only think of themselves are troublemakers. They're not peacemakers. So brethren, <laughs> are you a peacemaker? Are you a peacemaker because God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, has brought peace to you through the Lord Jesus? And if God has brought peace to you by the Holy Spirit, whose fruit is peace, you're not only at peace with God, you want to go out and be a peacemaker and make others at peace with God and with yourself. And so when we're taking that inventory of 2 Corinthians 13.5, it says, Do you not recognize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you fail the test? I trust we don't want to get an F in being a peacemaker when we evaluate ourselves. Because blessed are the peacemakers. They are the sons of God. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And when his spirit is in you, you desire peace. That's right.